Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by a young adult book author. He's had its bestseller with More Happy Than Not, History Is All You Left Me, and they both die at the end. His latest project is The First to Die at the End. We welcome Adam Silvera. Thanks so much for having me. Adam, let's go beyond the mic. The series is being turned into a TV show. It's touch people. How have you re-examined living life through this examination of death? You know, I think it's something that I've been processing since I was a kid. You know, I my first exposure to death was 9-11 as a 11-year-old in New York City at the time. And then two months later, when my favorite uncle died in a plane crash. And, you know, I was really exposed to just premature death at that point. Um, and that death anxiety really followed me into adulthood, you know? So, and I think a way of kind of coping with that began with these books where I created this universe where an organization called Deathcast will notify people before they are about to die. And, you know, and just forces them to face death in the face and make the most out of their lives. And, and, you know, I think I've been more inspired to take more charge of my life lately, having, having written these books. How did 9-11 and the rebuilding of the heart of New York help heal you? You know, I mean, it was really difficult. I mean, it was just, it was just so scary for so long, you know, like anytime a plane was flying low, you know, you were scared that it was about to be flown into a building. Uh, you know, I remember my building shaking one time and my mom trying and grabbing my hand and about to flee with us, you know, and, you know, we were having all these plans on where we would go if we got separated. And as a kid without a cell phone at that time, you know, it's like, that was really scary. Uh, but, you know, like knowing that we, we did all get through it together as a city, as a nation, you know, it didn't affect just those of us here in New York. It affected everyone across the country and across the world. Uh, you know, it, it's really beautiful. I was actually walking through Ground Zero the other the other morning, um, and it's just it's been 21 years, you know. Um, so yeah, that it's just to see everyone still collectively um, not forgetting and remembering uh, the lives lost. I think it's it's really beautiful. Why was going back to the world of the death cast so important for you? I mean. You couldn't go back to the characters you introduced in your first book. Yeah, you know, I think the Deathcast universe has so much room for examination from so many different angles. And in this case, I just wanted to see what it looked like on day one of the program, you know, like how society welcomed or pushed against it. And, uh, you know, and I, I get asked a lot if I would sign up for Deathcast, And the answer is absolutely yes. You know, it's kind of the point as to like why I wrote these books, you know, it's to resolve a lot of the death anxiety that I still carry with me. And, you know, I just want to know that like nothing gets left unsaid that I get to apologize to people. I get to say, I love you. I try to, you know, keep those behaviors in practice in general, but you know, things sometimes need a little more time uh, and absolutely sign up for the service. Have you ever, Thought of a book where the death cast was wrong? I yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I absolutely have thought of um, of a couple storylines that you know that would explore that. As your characters interact, there's a playful feeling that you should enjoy your end day. Quote: If you die a dumb decker death, I'll tell everyone you died saving the world. Unquote. How do you see your end day? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I hope that um, I don't die like falling in the shower or something, right? Like I hope that I get to, you know, 
do something wonderful, like, you know, playing with my dog and making sure that my dog is set up with like a new, wonderful, protective owner, uh, making sure that I spend some time with my godchildren, making sure that, you know, I of course spend time with my mom and my brother and my best friends and family. Uh, and, you know, I would love to write something. I don't know what it would be, but, uh, you know, something I could, you know, put out into the world one last time or even just share with my own individual network. Uh, but writing has always been something I, I'm, I'm confident I would do. Adam, what makes writing young adult books so cathartic for you? You know, I, I think I, it's just, it, it really has, it was therapy before I could afford therapy. You know, um, it allowed me to process <laughs> the world in different ways. And I mean, I grew up super poor. I was like, was not, uh, and then became resistant therapy, a whole thing. But, you know, when you're writing a novel, you are forced to look at, the book from multiple perspectives, even if you're not writing from that narrator's perspective, you know, like you have to make sure that your secondary characters feel just as real and lived in. And, you know, that was really awesome for me because it allowed me to, you know, just view people's situations um, from different eyes and, 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 you know, and perspectives. And, you know, I, I really think it's just such a great tool to have in my pocket. Author of the first to die at the end, Adam Silvera joined us beyond the mic and it's time for the rocking aid. Adam, it's just eight random questions. Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure. Best vegan snack. Um, impossible cigars. Adam, would you ever donate an organ? Absolutely. What's your favorite type of pastry? Uh, like a sugar cookie. Now, do you watch any cooking shows? And if so, what are your favorite? I do not. And I probably should because my Uber Eats bills are getting out of control. So what's your typical Uber Eats order? I mean, it's a lot of salads, but I do order from restaurants for dinner. Uh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm constantly making excuses for why I don't want to cook. Uh, I just, you know, I've cooked a few times and I'm never amazing at it. Um, even I, I mess up pasta. <laughs> Okay. How do you messed up pasta? I, oh, it gets like really like waterlogged and just like soaked. Like the texture is <laughs> not right. I'm telling you, I mess it up. I promise you. <laughs> I'm not just trying to be funny. Now I had an ex-girlfriend who burned up a pan because she put pasta in but forgot water. So I understand. Have you learned to love yet? Absolutely. How has that changed you? I, I mean, I, I feel like I, it's, you know, even if I break up with someone, I love being able to keep them in my life if the situation makes sense for both of us because I fell in love with them for a reason, right? Not not just because I thought that they would make an incredible partner. Like, I love them as a human. I fell for them as an individual, you know? Um, so it, I think my, my, I have so much love in me. I always have so much love to give and... I, it's one of my favorite parts about myself, actually. Adam, how do you encourage yourself when you hit hard times? I have recently been a lot kinder to myself. I, you know, I, I think it can be really hard in an age of social media and an age of isolation from the, you know, due to the pandemic. Um, and, you know, I really keep thinking about all the things that I wanted to accomplish all the things I wanted in my life that I have had, you know, because I think sometimes we tend to keep moving the, the goalposts um, where it's like, Oh, I did this and now I need to do this. I need to do this. And I really am just trying to, you know, express more gratitude toward where my life is today and the doors that have already been open for me. And if nothing, if I have no other door opens for me, I've had a pretty charmed existence. Well, let's talk about being charmed. How has your mom changed the way you are? My mom is my, you know, my, my biggest role model. She is a social worker. 
I am the son of a social worker, and that feels really clear in my work and and what I've been able to put out into the universe. You know, like my mom has the hard job, right? Like she's the one who's visiting clients through all weather and protecting them from eviction, which we faced a lot ourselves as a as a family. And you know, I'm writing about queer youth and giving them and making sure that they're seen on the page and that, and being told that their lives are valuable. And you know, so it feels like my mom and I are. are are working the world in different angles and uh I'm I'm just so inspired by her and uh yeah I'm yeah no my mom is she's the best Where's the longest and best place to take your dog on a walk in LA In Los Angeles uh we love going I mean we we live in a really cool neighborhood that's very um very chill um and very green um so my dog is always really just happy with that and then you know uh, i love taking <laughs> to the beach he loves digging into the sand and playing in the water and digging and digging he will dig until i pull him away yeah <laughs> it's time for the back half with the author of the first to die at the end adam silvero be on the mic adam were you nearly homeless growing up Absolutely. You know, we, um, and there were times I would come from school and we'd have eviction notices on the door and we'd have to either go stay at some relative's house, um, you know, uh, which we were lucky to always have the, that as a resource. But, you know, it was like really embarrassing. I would have to go ask friends to go take down the eviction notice from our door. Um, you know, like, I mean, we grew up really poor. I, I grew up in a one bedroom apartment in the South Bronx where I slept in the same bed as my parents and my brother until I was 13 years old. And then at, at that point we were able to get bunk beds for me and my, my older brother. And, you know, I'm so grateful that I grew up that way and that I didn't grow up, you know, super privileged because I, I would hate to think about how inconsiderate I could have been as a person not having lived the way that I um, grew up. You said you had a potentially million different possible narrators for this book. Why did you settle on Orion? Yeah, you know, I mean, there are so many perspectives that you can tell a death cast story from. And, you know, I think this, this, and, you know, they both die at the end. It's two boys who are absolutely not expecting it. In the case of the first diathean, there's a boy who has a heart issue, you know, he has a heart condition that he's been dealing with for the past few years. And I wanted to explore death cast from the angle of someone who has a medical predisposition that, you know, would actually have him on the edge of when he could die and have like a sudden heart seizure, you know, and my mom has had a lot of health issues, uh, many including and many involving her heart. Uh, so I grew up witnessing that. And uh, so I really just like leaned into that angle and that perspective. You have borderline personality disorder. How do you handle relationships when it is a challenge for you to do so? You know, I, yes, yeah, so I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, which for those who aren't familiar is a um, diagnosis that you get when you were pre you know, exposed to trauma from childhood. And I, that was certainly the case for me. My dad was, um, domestically abusive toward my mom and, and witnessing that was really hard. And I write about a lot of that in the first die at the end and, you know, but trauma is comes at you with higher volumes than a lot of other people who aren't diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And I, you know, I went through dialectical behavior training, which is really hard. There's no medicine to take for DBT. You just have to do the work. And I did this really intense program for six months to get me to a place where I was, you know, excited and 
ready to live again. And I'm so grateful to my, you know, counsel therapist that like got me to that point. And I have all these new tools that protect me from, from myself and from spiraling thoughts and allow me to communicate better with all those around me, whether it's a partner or a friend or a neighbor, um, even an enemy, <laughs> right? Like I, I just mm-hmm. um, am a lot wiser than I was a couple of years ago. Adam, where do you struggle in escaping your own comfort space? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I have a, an incredible resource of friends. I have an incredible therapist. I'm a very open book. I'm very chatty. So when I'm not talking to somebody, that's how you know things are like at a at a height of difficulty for me. But I really don't want to get to that place again. I think about my two-year-old goddaughter who's amazing and you know i can see i can go visit her in texas and then hop back on skype with her the next day and she wants me to already be back in texas with her right like there's she's she's one of my godchildren that i need to be living for and uh, so i will just reach out to my god kids or my best friends um to just you know get me away from the bad thoughts and uh you know keep me in a more fun spirit so why is writing easy and yet hard for you I, you know, I've been writing since I was 11 years old uh, for the, you know, so that's for the two thirds of my life. And I, I, I love it. I, I mean, I, I was so passionate about it, but it is hard. There are some times where I don't want to write. I haven't written in probably a couple of weeks. You know, I also have been promoting a book, <laughs> but also, yeah. you know, I have just, <laughs> that never I've, ends. I've just <laughs> yeah, so, but I have not been, you know, uh, quite as ready to jump into this, you know, this new project just uh, yet either. Um, but when I get into it, I get fully into it. You know, it's hard to pull me away. Um, so, you know, but I understand that there's just different seasons that come, um, for writing and, uh, but you know, it's, it's a way of expressing myself. It's a way of having conversations with myself in a more sort of like broad capacity. And, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's always been so awesome for me. How did the pandemic change the way you see the world? (laughs) How has your own Thoughts of death changed. I have definitely been living more adventurously since the pandemic. You know, entering 2020, I had actually had the ambition already of wanting to travel more since I had spent New Year's Eve in Mexico City. And I was like, this is awesome. I should be doing more fun stuff like this. And I planned for a big year of travel, um, just as many had. And, you know, but it was hard. Like, I was in L.A. by myself. Uh, my mom was in New York City. My mom caught COVID in March 2020, and that was really scary. You know, uh, we, we didn't have a ton of info except, hey, you get COVID, you're dying, right? And, and I couldn't be there for my mom. I couldn't get on a plane to even come to New York, right? Like everything was just shut down. So, you know, I really am making more visits and trips out to see my family and my friends. I'm going on more adventures for myself. And I, yeah, I, I just want to make sure that I am, when I die, it'll be with as few regrets as possible. So I want to make sure that, you know, I'm living as adventurously as possible. I went jet skiing for the first time. Did you have fun? It was so fun. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that I would have not have done this because I was just like, you know, and I, and really it was, I was thinking about this book that I'm promoting because I'm like, I need to live up to the messaging of these novels. I can't just keep telling people to go make the most of your day and not be doing that myself. That's hypocritical. Uh, so I, I really, you know, I'm, I'm taking the message of these novels to heart just as much as I'm encouraging the readers to do so. 
It's time for One Big Question with Adam Silvera, author of The First to Die at the End Beyond the Mic. Adam, have you found a new meeting for happiness for yourself? Yeah, you know, I'm actually loving myself a lot more these days. And I used to place so much self-worth based on what I thought other people thought about me or what people have actively said about me. And these days, I'm just really being so much kinder to myself. I was asked recently, what's the secret sauce to my books? And I just owned it. I was like, I'm the secret sauce. Like no one can do what I do because I know what I bring to this. Right. And, and that's true for any writer who really just like believes in themselves and has, um, has the confidence to do so. And I did not have this confidence years ago. Um, so I'm just happy with the life that like I'm choosing to live and just taking more power in, um, and creating the best life possible for myself. You wrote quote, I just want something impossible to become possible on my last day alive. Is that too much to ask? Unquote. The first to die at the end is available wherever books are sold. Adam, where can people find you online? I am on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Twitter. My handle is at Adam Silvera. It is just my name, or you can find me on adamsilvera.com. He likes sugar cookies, but doesn't know how to cook them. Author of The First to Die at the End, Adam Silvera. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.